you survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Black Man with the Gun Show. This is episode 337. We don't see things the way they are. We see them the way we are. This week, a rant about the I Have a Dream, March on Washington. Interview with David Vogt and Bonnie Johnson. One million downloads. A special message to my wife. News. Are black clergy getting involved in gun rights? Hmm. All this and an invitation to a fish fry in my house. Coming up next. This is the podcast for the cool people in the gun community. I talk about and to newsmakers, producers, and things that matter to law-abiding, fun-loving gun owners like you. I love America, the freedom, the music, the people like you and me. I know what you're going through. I'm your friend and brother from another mother. Encouraging and trusted content from the guy known around the world as the black man with a gun. This is what cool sounds like. I'm Ken Blanchard, and welcome to the Black Man with a Gun Show. Hey, hey, what's rocking in your world? Glad you could join me again. Where is the summer gone? We're ready for Labor Day already. Well, I got a chance to go on vacation. I'm going to tell you about that. And uh, we had the March on Washington. That didn't turn out like I wanted it. Didn't go. Wasn't invited. Well, you know, anybody could have went, but I'll explain. If you need to contact me, my toll-free number is 888-675-0202, or you can email me at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. I'm your friend, and I'm your brother, and let's roll with episode number 337. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. Indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hey, I know things are busy because there's so many people that I usually talk to that I haven't heard from like hardly ever this summer. That means it's good, right? Well, everything isn't good, but some stuff is good. Right, right. Shout out to everybody who's making it, who's surviving. Cancer. Cancer is kicking my friend's butt. I know five people either are in it, going through, or coming out. And I lost one. So that was six. The oldest of all six, he passed away. But it wasn't the cancer that got him. It was a heart condition. Wow. Times, man, the times. Keep those that you love close. There's too much negative stuff going on. Which brings us to the news. Hey, if you heard me on the NRA news, I was responding to an article that was in the Washington Post and the Washington Times. And this one said that black faith leaders urge Congress to toughen gun laws. It's by Philip Rucker. It was published August 27th. The beginning of it says that a coalition of African-American faith leaders is invoking the words of Martin Luther King Jr. as he tries to revive the debate over the nation's gun laws and calls on Congress to toughen background checks for firearms purchases. In an open letter, 
Timed to coincide with the 50th anniversary celebration of the March on Washington, leaders of predominantly black congregations across the country wrote that they have an obligation to future generations to sound the clarion call to end gun violence in our communities. The article states that a coalition, and I put that in quotes, of black clergy is seeking to get involved. And I'm really glad about it. I'm glad members of the clergy are getting involved in a gun debate. I have faith that once some of them do their homework and learn that the truth has been omitted from their premise, some will join me in fighting for the right to keep and bear arms. Pastors are educated people. They take complicated subjects like Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic texts and break it down into edible pieces. These are highly educated folks, and I hope that if they stay on this subject, they'll learn the truth about gun control, the issues, and the people that use it to further their own agendas. By the way, a coalition is a temporary alliance where folks join forces for a common cause, each having their own agenda, and that's pretty much the truth here. You know, we have a violence problem. Too many young people and women don't value life. The greater problem here is that we don't feel responsible for anything. For clergy to urge politicians to do something assumes they have power to actually do something that it cannot. And that's sad. That's looking like a slave to a master. We are responsible for our own children. Every black child, white child, brown child, yellow child, slinging dope or murdering innocent people is somebody's kid. For clergy of any color to petition and not believe that politicians have the power is dishonest. So either way, they're wrong. Gangs have been or have become the families in our communities now. And until that changes, nothing we say or do will. I'm hoping that some will look past this rhetoric and study to show themselves approved, as it says in the Bible. The stand your ground, for example, is not open season on black youth, but old English law based that protects all citizens in their dwelling. It was misquoted during the Zimmerman trial, and it continues to be used out of context by educated people that should know better. How many laws do you need beyond Thou shalt not murder. Criminals do not obey laws by definition. To ask elected officials to increase the laws for the law-abiding is not a solution. The truth is, gun rights are civil rights. The truth is, guns save lives. The truth is, you can misuse anything. Too much sugar in your tea is nasty. The truth is, if you want to stop the violence, you have to stop the violent. The ability for right to carry has protected more people than police. The truth is that gun control is based on racist roots. The truth is gun control is older than Columbine, Virginia Tech, the Aurora Theater, and Newtown shootings, and gun laws were already in place back then, and it didn't do anything. Pastors, if you're listening, it's a heart problem. Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If we really want to change our communities, we need to put boots on the ground. We need to man up and head outside the church. If you really want to make a change, we have to do it ourselves. Check the facts. Check the sources of information. Check the reasons folks are using the tears of these black mothers to push gun control in the cities. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. All right, last week, August 24th, the Black Man with a Gun podcast reached a milestone of being downloaded one million times.
like that was almost like a golf clap. That was kind of weak. Can I get a little bit more love than that? A million, y'all. A million. Thank God for sound effects. Otherwise, I'd be down here by myself feeling lonely. Well, see, here's the deal. I have it because I have you. What's been truly exciting about those million downloads is that I have met friends like you. Podcasters, bloggers, hunters, safari guides, entrepreneurs, politicians that I can call friends, scientists, lawyers, doctors. Yeah. And even other unemployed folks just like me. I created this show to be more cost effective than me trying to book a room in a hotel somewhere so I can speak publicly. It's more economic for me to share a joke here, encourage you and tell a story from my basement than any place else. This thing has been going on since December 2007. It was called Black Man with a Gun Live when it first started, only for a few episodes. And then I renamed it to The Urban Shooter because I thought that was less imposing and maybe, you know, that would work better. And I tried a whole bunch of stuff. Zombie strike and comedians and political commentary. And then just recently, a couple of months ago, we rebranded it the Black Man on the Gun Show. It's still a pro-gun variety show that provides interviews for newsmakers, product reviews, commentary, humor, the music of America, inspiration for people like you and I. It's not just a gun podcast. I'm trying to share um, issues and I even throw in cigar reviews for those who smoke and point of view from me, a crazy, eclectic, former jarhead Firearms trainer, former law enforcement officer, a Christian minister. I'm a regular guy, y'all, for real. I've been in this thing since 1991. I work with just about everybody in the gun community. And as I mature, as the show matures, I'm hoping to get a show like Larry King. Yeah, I'm going to put that out in the atmosphere. I'm actually working um, with a group called Thundershot Studios with the big hopes that I can land some clients and get some funding for this thing. And we actually build a studio and have like Merv Griffin thing going on. A Tonight Show. Probably be all web-based. That's where I wanted to go. And you're making it happen. By downloading it on Stitcher, on iTunes, on whatever aggregator you find. It's available on a couple things. Spreaker. Thank you. Thank you for making me a success. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for rolling with a brother one more time. Crossbreedholsters.com. Often imitated, never duplicated. Handcrafted in the USA. Home of the lifetime warranty and a triad-free guarantee. Crossbreedholsters.com. If you follow me on Facebook, on Twitter, you've seen my big old mug on stuff. And I have my face superimposed on other backgrounds that some really good graphic artists have hooked it up. But the basic photography, the headshot photo, came from a young lady named my name of Bonnie Johnson. And she has a website, dcheadshotphotography.com. Bonnie Johnson is my photographer. I've just given her a kind of a plug because she's just good people. And... Here's a conversation we had right after the shoot. I'm actually working on 
all. The book's done. The edits are happening right now. Black Man with a Gun Reloaded. It's a revised and updated version of my book, Black Man with a Gun, with some personal stuff in there, stuff about life lessons, stuff that I've learned, things that happened in the court system and the law and the gun rights stuff that I didn't put in the first book. That's kind of like a, it's everything that the other book was missing. And it's, it's not just a gun book. It's like this show, actually. It's like a whole bunch of stuff in it. But it should be a good read. should make you laugh. should make you cry. should make you go, what? I didn't know that. Well, I had to get a really cool cover for this thing because I didn't want to scare people like I did the first time, even though that still might happen but with my face. But Bonnie is my photographer, and here's that conversation. I am in the studio with Bonnie Johnson Photography. Um, just got my uh, headshots done for my next book, and I had to come to Bonnie because Bonnie is that good. What are you trying to do with your next your website and all that you're doing? You just kind of told me I want to get that recaptured. What I like to do, Ken, is work with people to help them with their marketing. A photograph isn't just a picture that you put up on your website or you put on Facebook. It really has to um, tell the story of who you are and your confidence and uh, your individuality. And that's what I try to help people do. Um, you come to the studio, we chat for a little bit, uh, try to figure out what it is that you're looking for, and then we work together. We look at the photographs as we're taking them and uh, come up with a product that is you, marketed as you. And that's what I enjoy. New blog, DC what? DC Headshot Photography. And what I'm going to talk about in the blog is um, ideas about marketing yourself, uh, getting a good headshot, um, even deciding whether to use makeup or not, and just a general positive um, uh, blog on people who I work with, some of my clients, and some of the results that we get. You do actors for the I most part. I do actors for the most part. Mm -hmm. I do children. I do children who are actors. Um, so I do, I, I really enjoy working with people. DC? DC Headshot Photography com. Man, that's big. But we're going we're gonna to see that, though. This is, you can find it, though, really easy. DC Headshot Photography com. Mm -hmm. Bonnie Johnson. Yes. How long have you been in this business? I have been taking photographs for over 20 years. I started taking actor headshots probably 2002, 2003, purely by accident. Before then, I was just taking pictures of my kids and my kids' friends. Um, but I talked myself up at a little part-time job and ended up taking photographs of an actress. And that's where it started. And so now I do, like I said, actors and I do business executives. I do a lot of writers. So anybody that's in the, in the field, in the field of the art, art field, is who I kind of work with and enjoy. Nowadays, a headshot is so important for avatar. You need a, a really nice picture. If you want to go anywhere in this business, in new media, you need at least a good headshot. You're going to need um, for Facebook profiles, for your website, for, for everything you do. Mm -hmm. Come to Bonnie. Yes, Bonnie Johnson Photography, and check out my new blog, dcheadshotphotography.com. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you. All right, this past weekend, I had the opportunity to take the missus down to Virginia Beach. Yeah, I did. We kind of snuck away on Friday and went to the um, Garden in Hilton in the Virginia Town Center. That is a really nice hotel. 
it's in a town center, so it's about eh, about nine miles from the beach. But all the good restaurants and movie theater, everything is in walking distance, and it's quiet. It's just nice, and the service was outstanding. So if you want to make a really good trip to Virginia Beach, don't stay on the boardwalk. Don't stay on those high-priced hotels. Do the thing a few miles back. That Hilton Garden Inn was the bomb. And we we chilled. We got a chance to reconnect, to talk to each other. And, and it was like a honeymoon. Good stuff. Got a chance to, to talk to my friend Keith, a Marine that we served together in London as Marine security guards. And the dude successfully just um, got through some cancer. He's a survivor. And it was nice to read. I hadn't seen a guy since like 85. And we talked, and he talked to my wife, and and the dude made us cry, man. He had us, had us. It was like just so touching. Just thanks, man. Thanks for what you said in front of my missus. Um, that was that was kind of cool. You know, men validate other men. It's truth. We say a lot of stuff that's like worthless, but when we do connect and say positive stuff, it does a body good. Here's something that happened by accident. Usually when you leave the Washington, D.C. area and you're heading toward Virginia Beach, you go down 95. And for right now, I don't know why, but 95 is horrible. It can take you four hours to go to Richmond from D.C., which should take two. What you do is, here's a tip. Go down Route 301 and find Route 17. Take 301 south, hook a left, Going southwest on Route 17, it will take you all the way down to Newport News. You go back to Yorktown direction. There is no traffic. It is scenic. It is peaceful. Um, the air is fresh. You'll see farms. And if you're taking a motorcycle, that'd be like the best road, 301 to 17. And I came back the same way. You have one toll when you cross the uh, Harry Nice Bridge for those who are traveling in this area. Just a tip. Do not go through 95. Skip that joker all the way. Go down 301. It's a lot of stops until you get past Waldorf, but it speeds up after a while. And just for peace of mind, you'll get there in the right amount of time. A little, little extra stuff for the local folks. And Mrs. Blanchard, I want to thank you for listening because I know you are. And uh, thank you for 22 years. I haven't always been the husband that I am now, but thank you for allowing me to get here. Uh, I dedicate this to you. Like a fool, I went to sleep too long. Now I'm wondering if your love's still strong. Now I'm back and not ashamed to cry
Somebody said all politics are local. And looking back over my political career, which I don't have one, but I'm, I've been a gadfly. I've been a guy helping. I've been the voice. Um, I was a voice in Chicago. I was uh, a face in California. I was actually testifying in a couple of states. I've been around. But I kind of missed my own state, Maryland. So I'm focusing on that right now. And I got a chance to interview a candidate for the 6th District Congressional candidate in Maryland. Won't happen until next year, but here's a new guy who wants to make a difference. This is about a 22-minute conversation, and uh, please welcome David Vogt. Dave Vogt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ken. I'm glad to be here. Man, you let me know that you're running for the 6th District for Congress in Maryland. That's a pretty big step, dude. Yes, it is. But somebody's got it. Somebody has to fight for it. And this Marine has decided it's it's time to fight for my home, my family, my neighbors. Okay, 6th District is way on the other side um, at the beginning of Maryland if you're coming from left to right, right? Yes. We are pretty much Everything that's West touching West Virginia and Virginia, Southern Pennsylvania, all the way until you hit basically about Frederick. And then they, with gerrymandering last year, Frederick County and Montgomery County got diced up pretty severely. And we've got parts of both of those in there. All of Washington, Garrett, and Allegheny counties are in the district. And then the other two are puzzle pieces according to the Maryland State Legislator and Democratic Caucus. Gotcha. So tell me about David Vogt. Who, who are you, man? I'm a public servant through and through. I grew up I may as well I guess just start from the back and work forward. Sure. <laughs> I'm a fourth generation Marylander. I grew up in Florida because my grandparents and transplanted my dad down there when he was in middle school and because the you know, economy and jobs forced him to do that. It's, it's kind of a lot like where it and now is that people are being forced to leave Maryland to find good jobs and face a 
a fighting chance against lawyers here in Maryland. We had 74 tax increases over the last several years with Governor O'Malley. And uh, so my grandparents back, geez, that was in the 70s, I guess, moved down, transplanted down there, and that's where I grew up as a result. But at 18, 17, actually, I wanted to join the Marine Corps after growing up. I was, like I said, a public servant through and through. My grandmother's a minister of the Church of God, and I spent, if I wasn't doing school, I was with her, working at her church, doing different things, everything from yard work up to helping out, actually, inside the church. And that bore a deep passion pretty early on to, to serve and to do something that was going to impact people's lives for the better. And that continued to grow, and early on that caused a a desire, I guess a dream, to one day possibly serve as a public servant in Congress, if God willing. And continued to go through that, did a lot of community service in middle school and high school, and wanted to join the Corps out of high school because I felt like that was my next step, my next call. Just the of graduating 17 years old is you have to have a parent's permission. <laughs> and that was just a year after September 11th at that point. So my parents weren't going to approve of that. So I picked up and decided to go to college. With, uh, I had an academic scholarship at the University of South Florida. And went to school there for... It was about a year and a half when I realized that it wasn't where I wanted, felt like I needed to be. And it wasn't serving or getting me to where I felt like God was leading me to go as a servant. And so I went to started doing a lot of praying and thinking. And after I finished my second year, I decided that I wanted to go in the Marine Corps. Like I had tried to do a couple of years earlier. So I sat down with the recruiter and said, sign me up. And they looked at me like I had 12 heads, and I was crazy. Of course, they like anybody that volunteers, but walking away from the scholarship, they were glad and confused at the same time. I told them, we got to do this for the country. And so I, 2004, I went to Paris Island, South Carolina. And <laughs> as many people describe it, the devil's armpit. It was a amazing experience and a rough one and left there as a United States Marine and spent eight years of service that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world and working with amazing Americans to fight for liberty and justice, fight for the Constitution and serving people. That's it. I was finally in a place that I felt like I was doing what passion I've had for years and helping the country, fighting for the country, and also there to mold young people's lives as a leader. And I wanted to take every opportunity to do that and make a difference in these young men and women's lives, as well as the seniors that I worked for. And part of that, I was able to establish a nonprofit organization out in California that I was the inaugural president for, and me and a group of NCOs, we made this NCO association a big thing out there. We put out 3,000 plus hours of volunteering 
and touch-wise in this community, not just in the military. We made it a symbiotic relationship. And as a result, I was honored, humbly so, because I always tell people that anything I'm recognized for is a result of the people around me, the great team that we put together. But they brought me up and recognized me on Capitol Hill as the Marine of the Year in 2010. And then I went to Afghanistan right after that. And I'm sure anybody that ever goes over there were blessed to be able to come home. But the experience, I was a detainee operations officer. And working in a position where I was forced <clears throat> into a commission officer position, well, not forced into the position, I was asked to take that position. And I did so because anything I could do. And working in a position where I had to work with international militaries, international organizations like the International Red Cross, and also have to handle and deal with and basically be the in-between, the outside elements of Afghanistan and where a detainee ends up in jail after committing any possible act of terrorism. It's a challenging position because you have to approach it judiciously and make sure even though you, nine out of ten times, these guys were caught red-handed, attempting to or actually hurting and killing our armed service members. And to look into the eyes of these guys, see somebody that doesn't know what liberty is, doesn't know what fighting for justice means, is a earth-shattering experience and one that just dug deeper the core and passion of serving and fighting for a nation that sadly is losing its direction right now. And I brought that back and as a, as a passion, and a renewed passion for what I want to do and serving our country and the young men and women and families and decided that it was time to transition out of the Marine Corps at the end of my contract and take the next step to service and settle down with my family. We've got my wife of six years now, a three-year-old and a 10-month-old baby. I just going to ask, did you have family? Yes, and we just wanted to settle down and we wanted to go where Florida wasn't my roots. It isn't my lineage or heritage. Maryland, like you said at the beginning, I'm fourth generation Marylander now. And this is where we wanted to be. We met in the DC metro area as a couple and it was an easy decision to come back where my we knew my family was and her family's in Pennsylvania, so and we just fell in love with Brunswick and decided this is exactly where we need to be. This is exactly where we want to raise our kids. And dug in and started working at the Pentagon and didn't anticipate this opportunity would come this early because it's not doors anybody can force open. It's opportunities that you get a seed to win and God gives them to you. And we saw that opportunity come knocking as a call for someone willing to fight. And if anybody's willing to fight, and you know well, Ken, it's a Marine. And that's 
when I decided this is my home. This is where generations of votes have built and thrived and saw a new nation born centuries ago. This this is personal for me. And this is why I'm fighting for the 6th District. And because <laughs> as of today, I'm the only guy that lives here in the 6th District that's running here. Even the incumbent that's down there right now doesn't live here. And that's like I said, it's a very personal fight for me. It's time to take it back. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that 6th District thing. Yeah. That's a, it's a rule for the most part, right? Vacation kind of spot. If you look at ratio geographically, the majority of it is rural. Uh, Population-wise, it's scattered because they gerrymandered to include uh, parts of Frederick County and to go all the way down into Montgomery County, which includes Hagers, not Hagerstown, it's the other direction, Gaithersburg and Germantown. And so really, the majority landmass-wise is rural. But we've got such a large population that's in Montgomery County as well, it really gives us a deep-seated need to appeal to both the city, because that's right there in D.C.'s suburbs, as well as the rural. It's kind of a unique unique district in that regard, because we have everything from the rural to the blue collar to the city folks and you know, a lot of government folks as well down there. We're almost a microcosmic image of the country here in the 6th District. And there's not many districts in the country that have a, a large constituency that spans everything from the city to the rural. And that, that gives us a unique opportunity here to really represent every issue that's going to be an issue nationally here locally as well. Man, you, you took that hike from uh, where you're at now to the Pentagon? Yes. Uh, I worked at the headquarters Marine Corps at the Pentagon. The wonderful thing about Brunswick is we have the Mark Station. That's right here in downtown Brunswick because it's is and was a railroad town. And so that made the the commute into the Pentagon much more tolerable. I, I would never attempt to drive the corridor down there if I didn't have to. So being able to jump on the Mark train and use that system and go out and use the Metro to over to Union Station made it very amicable. Nah, it's still a hump. It is, but much more tolerable. <laughs> yeah, and, and it gives us, like I said, it gives us a chance to be out here far enough to enjoy being and what I would this is considered pretty much the start of the country up there. Yeah, as well as close enough to be able to get in and be able to actually put hands on and do something effective down in DC. Yeah. What's um what's gonna be your biggest opposition for this congressional run for you? The major opposition? Uh-huh. Right. The the biggest thing and the true focus it, on the whole race is Representative John Delaney, the incumbent that lives down in Potomac. He's a freshman just 
unseated 20-year congressman Roscoe Bartlett. He's going to be, he's, who our entire race is focused on. It's, we're going to have a primary as well, but I've been calling for our primary uh, to focus, make a united effort that we're focused on unseating John Delaney because he's not serving the district. How do you serve the district when you don't even live in it? And on top of that, he's a investment banker who's very successful and nobody should or could discount the fact that he is a very successful businessman. But he does not have a touch on what the majority of the country, much less the majority of this district, are dealing with day in and day out with a district with one of the highest unemployment rates in the state and country still, despite we're supposedly in a recovery, as well as middle-class Americans that have to sweat and sometimes bloodshed just to put food on the table. And that no multimillionaire doesn't understand that. And he has demonstrated that just in the first eight months in his time in Congress and the way he's holding and he's not what he told everybody he was. He, he came out as moderate, you know, in, in touch with the people and told you know, a lot of things like we see all the time. A lot of good talk. And then he goes in and asks to be a minority whip with standing next to Skinny Hoyer and, and Nancy Pelosi is your true colors. And he mm-hmm. votes right next to him. 92% voting along party lines. That's not moderate. That's not taking care of the working class sixth district up there. Gotcha. And in the primary, we've got a couple. One guy that's definitely in it uh, as well, and we've got another one that's looking like he's probably going to jump in next month. But we'll wait and see how that happens. But I just hope we can make a united effort together to focus on what the end goal is, and that's the general election. When's the primary? The primary is June 24th of 2014. Okay. What's some of your URLs so we can find out more about Dave Volk? Sorry, say that one again? What's some of the contact information and like your URLs so I can find out more our folks can listen okay. to find out about Dave Volk? Uh, we've got, we're across the digital world quite a bit. Our what website is Vote as in my last name, for Maryland, F-O-R, and then the whole state of Maryland spelled out, dot com. We do also have several other domain names that will point straight to that just in case somebody accidentally types it in wrong. So you'll probably get there either way. Okay. And then we have also, also have our Facebook page, which is vote the verb, the number four, and vote V O G T twenty fourteen as well as our Twitter handle is vote for vote team. And both of those have links directly on our website as well that you can connect without having to worry about typing in the handles or the names in Facebook and also our YouTube channel that they can that connect straight to. And then on there you can find my email address which is Listed up there if anybody wants to talk to me and if they'd like to volunteer. Of course, also, 
we also appreciate any contributions. You can do that straight on the website. And we just added a new page on our website is our endorsements page. We just received our third endorsement from the Combat Veterans for Congress Act and uh, hope to go along with our previous ones of Richard Douglas, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense, as well as uh, former Chief of Staff of Roscoe Bartlett, uh, Bud Otis. So there's a lot of good information there. And if anybody sees anything that you know, they want to hear or want to know, send, send me an email and let me know. That's what I'm here to do is listen and talk to as a neighbor and as a friend. I'm a citizen representative, and I'm always going to be that. And one of the things people ask is, well, they always say that when they're running for office. How are you any different? When was the last time you saw a Marine back down from a fight? Back down from his word that he's going to serve and represent you as your neighbor. And to add extra emphasis to that, when I give folks my business card, the phone number on there is my phone number. You call that number, you get me. If there's anything I ever do as a servant, as a representative, you call me and you tell me so I can help make it better make it better because that's my pledge that's the oath that I swore to support and defend that oath never changes right how how do you properly um, spell your last name V as in Victor O G as in golf T as in tango okay and pronounce vote though yes all right so now nobody has any excuse not to find David vote and to vote for David come next year to save Maryland from itself. Man, any, any final words as we, as we depart? Just every day. Uh, I was actually watching a <clears throat> film with my wife. And we were, were able to go to recently. Every once in a while we can get her sister to sit with the boys after they go to bed. And we saw the, the butler. Fantastic film, by the way, if anybody wants to see it. And a film like that just reminds me what I'm committed to do. And a country that we've gone through so much as a nation. Over 237 years, we've fought through blood, sweat, and tears, wars, even against ourselves, and we still come out on the other end. We can't lose sight of what that means. Too many have forgotten liberty and freedom has never been free. It has never come easy. So we need to unite as a district, as a state, and as a country to continue to fight for that liberty. And that's what we're here to do in Maryland, and we can unite as a nation behind that, not just in the district, but everybody. And we're going to do that together. Yeah, we are. All right, man. Thank you so much for that. My pleasure. This portion of the show has been sponsored by ErgoGrips.net. Small arms accessories built for high performance and control. Shooter-focused. ErgoGrips.net. All right, right off the bat, I want to apologize for this rant.
This week, the nation remembered I Have a Dream speech by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Instead of using the opportunity to honor the work of a great American, actors, politicians, and racists used it to profile and to pander. What we should have done is acknowledge that there has been a two-termed person of color as the President of the United States and an Attorney General, as well as a whole bunch of high government officials, business executives, university presidents. We could have celebrated all the black doctors, lawyers, airline pilots, construction foremen, news anchors, school superintendents, and almost any other position imaginable that we have right now. And the fact that seeing all these people of color in such positions no longer raises eyebrows is a testimony to the tremendous progress that has been made in America over the last 50 years. And there's some stuff that we shouldn't be too happy about. But nobody talks about that. And that would have put most of these jokers out of a job. These jokers have become famous by vilifying white people. They claim that there's a conspiracy of white supremacists preventing black people from becoming successful. They make it seem like black people can't be racist and that being a conservative is. This weekend, this March on Washington celebration could have been an outstanding historical commemoration, but instead we rallied against evils that no longer exist. Yeah, I said that. Racism is still alive. Don't get me wrong. Evil is still ever-present, but not where these jokers were talking about. What they said was a sham, and it was a cheap shot. There are still racially motivated crimes happening every week against white people that they don't even bring up. Instead, they reinforce negative stereotypes to set us all back. In all honesty, the civil rights establishments that still exist don't even have the same excuses that we used or the, not that we used that we had as when I was a kid. But what they do is they give ammunition to the idiots that love this stuff. This is when the so-called leaders of the black community, and I don't know how they got leaders because I never voted for them, they aren't even interested in solving or even acknowledging the problems of the black community because they profit from the confusion, the hate, and the fear. They use the turmoil in the black community as opportunity. They use images of Jim Crow like it's still making the lives of black Americans unbearable. I'm sorry if I don't agree. Support or even go along with the crap. But you know, they wouldn't have a job if there was peace. I was a baby, a toddler at the original March in 63. We lived in D.C. off of 13th Street, Northwest. I still have a button my dad bought me to commemorate the event. I grew up listening to my parents that were in the struggle. I saw what they sacrificed for me. I grew up during that busing era. I saw the change. I am living the dream. Things are not peachy keen. Life isn't perfect, but it's still good. It's so good, folks are lining up to get here. It's so good my children have college educations. My grandmother is still proud of me. My parents are proud of me. And if you're listening to this show and have been for a while, I have to ask your apology. I'm, I'm sorry, but thank you for letting me vent. I, I'm a little upset over the foolishness. 
I know you. You are not a racist. You are one of the cool people, and I thank God for you. I might not ever get a television show. I might not ever rise above this podcast, so not everybody is going to hear this message. I won't get a show on Oprah and probably won't get an invitation to the White House either, but that's okay. I've been there. I'm good with that. The Talmud says, we don't see things the way they are. We see them the way we are. And I believe that. Thanks. All right, right now you are invited to a cookout. Yep, it's in progress right now. So just jump in your car and come on over. I got the fish frying right now. And the hot dogs and the hamburgers are ready right there. I even got some Maryland crabs in a giant bushel bag. They're already steamed and hot. They're on the table and paper plates and the stuff is ready. Uh, Mama is making some homemade lemonade. And I don't know why that lemonade is brown, but it's probably got more sugar in it than you need. I can see the, yeah, that's sugar. And it's uh, it's going to be oh so sweet. So just pop right on over and get your plate and stay a while. If you drink alcoholic beverages, there are two coolers to your left and to your right. Somebody likes that Pilsner stuff. Somebody likes that malt liquor stuff. I got them both. Um, I got the heavy and the light. There is a small table of wines to my right. Um, and I didn't spray the yard for mosquitoes and bugs and all the other stuff. So nothing's living that shouldn't be. And uh, you should have a good time. Come on over. Happy Labor Day to you. Enjoy yourself. And this fish will be ready in a couple more minutes. It's fresh out of the Chesapeake Bay. Caught it myself. And I'm darn proud that I got this grill together and it's actually working. It's like my third or fourth time using it now. And I'm getting the hang of it. And uh, oh, man. This stuff is looking golden brown. Come on over, and I'll see you next week if you don't make it this time. All right? Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. Zig Ziglar says, Life is too short to spend your precious time trying to convince a person who wants to live in a gloom and doom otherwise. Give lifting that person your best shot. But don't hang around long enough for his or her bad attitude to pull you down. Instead, Surround yourself with optimistic people. That's why I'm inviting you to the cookout. Take care. See you again next week. Well, all right. Like after drinking a tall cup of coffee on a two-hour bike ride, it's time to go. Thanks for riding with your friend and brother from another mother. If you like the show, feel free to tell somebody. The show notes can be found at blackmanwithagun.com. If you have a joke, a news item, or something that would fit, feel free to send it to me at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Want to advertise here or become a sponsor? Doesn't take much and I'll treat you real good. I know I can help. Contact me anytime. My phone number is 888-675-0202. Now may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the sun shine on all that you do. And until we meet or you hear from me again, may my God hold you in his mighty hands. I'm Ken Blanchard, and I appreciate you for making this on the best podcast on the net. Shalom, baby. Well, sister, the time has come for me to ride hard and fast.
Be sad Lean on me When times are bad When the day comes And you're down In big time trouble Stand your ground Just hold on I'm coming Hold on I'm coming On my way Your lover If you get cold I'll be your cover Don't have to worry Cause I'm here No need to suffer baby Big Papa's here Just hold on I'm coming Hold on I'm coming Hold on I'm coming Hold on I'm coming Reach out to me For satisfaction Yeah Call my name For a quick reaction I'm coming. 